Like our sense of good, our sense of righteousness, our sense of justice and holiness and beauty is not as big and great as God's. And so whatever standard of good we may put up, it's never going to be as good. And conversely, our sense of mercy and justice and compassion will never be as deep and as rich and as life-giving as God's. Because we will never sacrifice to the extent God has apart from the power of his Holy Spirit. And so whether we want to err on the side of, hey, I'm standing for righteousness and justice, or over here I need compassion and mercy, if we are the measure, it will never be as good as what God presents himself to be. And when we stand in God's place, our judgments always fall short, and we do violence to what is good, and we do violence to what is compassionate and merciful. D.A. Carson nicely summarizes Jesus' warning to those of us who have a propensity to stand in God's place. He's summarizing what Jesus says. Do not assume the place of God by deciding you have the right to stand in judgment over all. Do not do it, I say, in order to avoid being called to account by the God whose place you usurp. Jesus' warning here is saying, hey, if you want to put yourself as the measure, God will call you to account one way or another, in this life or the next. And so we need to be very careful. We need to be humble about our judgments because we know we too will be judged. And so again, let me ask, what is the measure by which you judge? Is your measure of judgment the kingdom of God and his righteousness or is it something you've designed yourself? And if you would say, yes, it's the kingdom of God. Yes, I want my measure, my standard to be the Lord and who he is. Then yes, goodness, righteousness, truth, justice, holiness, all of those things. But never forget it is a kingdom of love and mercy and grace and compassion And so you who would be so passionate to judge by the measure of righteousness and goodness and holiness and truth and justice, are you equally as passionate to judge by the measure of mercy and compassion and love and grace and mercy that you so desperately need yourself? You see, disciples of Jesus are humble in their judgments because they know They deserve to be judged along the lines of God's righteousness and goodness and holiness, and we fall far short. We deserve God's righteous wrath and judgment. But we also know that God in his compassion and his mercy and his love sent Jesus Christ to stand in our place, to take that penalty of sin that you and I deserved. And so now, those of us who are united to Christ, who are in Jesus, the judgment over us is what? forgiven, loved, accepted, adopted because of Jesus. And so we know we walk in humility because we know that the path to righteousness comes through faith and repentance. And so this causes us to be humble in our judgments. So disciples of Jesus exercise humble judgment because we will be judged. The disciples of Jesus also exercise humble Sober judgment because, and this is the second reason, we do not see clearly. In verse 3, Jesus asks, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, 
but do not notice that log that is in your own eye. And Jesus points out we have a sight problem. And if you've been with us in this series, you know that when Jesus uses vision metaphors, he's referring to our hearts. So to say we have a sight problem is to say we have a heart problem. And so why we, we see the speck, we see the small little sin in our brother's or our sister's heart, but we ignore the massive log, the massive sin in our own heart. And so Jesus is using this very humorous hyperbole here, this idea of this big log sticking out of someone's eye. It's impossible. You can't put a log in your eye. It's ridiculous, and it's meant to be ridiculous. Because when you and I walk around without a humble heart, aware of our own sin, going around judging other people, we look ridiculous. We look like someone with a log strapped to our eye. It's just not right. It's weird. There's something off about that. But this is how we behave when we are blind to our own sin, when we are not humble to the sin that is in our own heart, when we are, we are unable to see clearly, spiritually speaking. And we're not only ridiculous, we're also dangerous. We're not only ridiculous, we're also dangerous spiritually speaking. Just think of it this way. Like, if you had a, a, something in your eye, if you needed eye surgery, and, and, and you're like on the table and your surgeon walks in and he, and he only has one eye, or how about he's just outright blind, like can't see at all? Are you going to let him anywhere near your eyeball with a knife? No, because his blindness is going to do damage to you. And so this is what Jesus says in verses 4 and 5. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. How do you expect to help your brother or sister? How do you expect to give them the good judgment that they need? to see the sin in their life and help them with the, with the gospel, if you're so blinded that you're going to do damage to them. So when we do not walk in humility, when we are not examining our own hearts and being mindful of the ways our sin can blind us, we're spiritually dangerous. We are spiritually dangerous. And what does Jesus call us when we live this way? When we will judge others without examining our own hearts. Hypocrites. Look, you don't want Jesus calling you a hypocrite. It's a strong word, but it's meant to shock us into reality. We are being hypocrites when we are not taking stock of our own hearts, and yet we're so quick to judge everybody else's sin. And so if we are not walking in active repentance before the Lord, then our judgments are just going to damage people. They're not going to help them. They're going to damage people. And so I want, I want to sketch just a couple ways uh, that, that we need to be mindful of how we can be blind in our judgments. And we need, what we need to watch for when we're not walking in humility and repentance. And so first, we can, as Zach Eswine describes in his book, Sensing Jesus, give people labels and sort them into sin categories. And so we do with people and their sins what high, high school social cliques do. Label people. Hey, that person's the jock. He's the jock. Uh, he's the nerd. Uh, she's the fashionista. Uh, over there's the goths and the stoners. Start to label people by their sins. Oh, he's the guy who's addicted to pornography. Uh, he's the guy who gets angry. Or he's the passive dude. 
or, or she's the one that gossips everywhere she goes, or that's the couple that ha- they're emotionally a wreck and all they do is fight. And so we start to label people. We, we, we put these marks on them and this is who they are. Now, does scripture give us categories of sin? Absolutely. Sometimes descriptors are helpful. Descriptors allow us to say this is the reality of what a person is doing and, and, and what they're caught in. And so descriptors aren't bad in and of themselves. Sometimes they accurately define what a person is doing. However, when all we see are labels and do not actually see the person, we've become blind. We have allowed our sin to merely create a label. They're not a human being. They're just that sin. And so rather than seeing somebody with a story, with hurts, with pains, with experiences that have shaped them, seeing them as people with thoughts and emotions and desires and hopes and dreams, we see them merely as their sin. And we have become like the Pharisee in Luke 7. So I'm not going to turn there, but when you go home, look at, look at Luke 7 and what Jesus, how Jesus deals with this kind of situation. So there is a Pharisee who invites Jesus into his house to have a meal. And at that meal, it says, a woman of the city who is a sinner. So in Jesus' day, this was actually a class of persons, sinner. It doesn't say exactly what her sin is, but the implication is she was probably a prostitute or someone who had a, a sexually promiscuous background. And she goes in and she begins weeping over Jesus and washing his feet with her tears. She has perfume and anoints his head with oil. And the Pharisee, in his heart, goes, man, if Jesus was really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is, a sinner. All he saw was the label. And here's the irony, and I'm using this word correctly. (laughs) Here's the irony. Jesus saw her sin far more deeply than that Pharisee ever could. Oh, he knew her sin. He knew more of her sin than that Pharisee knew. He knew the depths of it beyond what that Pharisee could ever comprehend. And yet, he saw her. He didn't just see her sin as this empty label. He saw her and what was going on in her heart and the struggles that she had. He saw her story and her pains. Yes, her sins, but he saw her and he loved her and he had compassion on her and he judged rightly. If you and I are going to see past labels and see people, if we are going to apply gospel judgments correctly, we must be humble. We must repent of the sin that is in our heart that will harden us and cause us to see people merely as labels. So that's one of the ways that we can be blind. We label and sort people. The second is we judge motives. Oh, we like to judge people's motives. And can I admit I am guilty of this? This is probably the one thing I struggle with. I've been thinking through this list. I struggle with this. Like, I try to believe the best in people, but my analytical mind, I'm constantly judging people's motives. If that's scary to hear your pastor say that, I'm sorry. (laughs) I try not to do it with you, but it's just going on in my head. I'm sorry. I love you. (laughs) But here's the thing. When we start to judge people's motives, we start to guess why they do what they do. Oh, that can be damaging judgment. And here's how the Lord has humbled me. He's humbled me a couple ways. One I've experienced this from other people a few times, and boy, that hurts. 
Like when someone thinks they know why you're motivated and you're like, no, I'm not motivated by that. How dare you say that? That hurts. You realize, oh yeah, that does hurt. That hurts a lot. And so that should bring a humility to recognize, hey, we, we can't always see people's motives. We often misjudge those things. So we better be humble about how we, th- we view people's motives. But here's where this has been really driven home to me. Man, I got emotional before I even started the story. <laughs> so when Mindy and I lived on the East Coast, um, and we were part of a church plant, early on there was, there was a guy who was kind of in the initial leadership who, for whatever reason, he just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Like, I, he was one of these guys that was, like, super well-connected, seemed like he knew every famous person, seemed like he just was schmoozing, what I thought was schmoozing everybody. And I just kind of always was like, ah, this guy, I just, I just don't know about this guy. And what ended up happening is that over the course of several years, I got to know him. And I got to see, this dude is incredibly sincere. And, and, and what happened is that we became friends. Like, when Mindy and I's life started falling apart, he was probably the one person who loved me better than anybody else. Like his sincerity and his care for me, and through that we became very, very good friends. I was judging this dude who became a source of life to me. And so what happens when we start judging people's motives is we, is, is we start to miss at what really makes their heart tick, and we miss what what really is going on. And so when I became his friend and start to see, oh yeah, this is where he really struggles. This is who he really is. And now I can actually speak into the ways that he struggles. And so yeah, sometimes we need to confront people's motives. Sometimes we need to confront what's going on and what makes a person tick. Ah, but we need to be humble about that. We need to be careful about what's going on in our own hearts so that we can apply proper and good gospel judgment to people. So we can label people, we can judge motives, and we can also judge circumstances. We can assume we know why someone is in the mess they are in. Like we look at their mess and we look at their pain and we go, oh man, I know why you're in that mess. Look at it. you did this and this and this and this and this. But we become like Job's friends. If you're familiar with the story of Job in scripture, Job's life completely fell apart, lost his family, lost all he owned. His body was covered in sores through no fault of his own, no sin on his part. Here come his buddies with all of their judgments, all of their explanations, all of, hey, Job, the reason you're in this situation is because you've sinned and you've done this and you've done this and you've done this. They were wrong. They were flat wrong. Even if their theological categories were right, they were flat wrong about the situation. They did not exercise humility. They weren't humble before the Lord and before their friend to understand what was really going on. They just jumped right into judgment. And they looked like fools. And God confronts them at the end and he comes hard at them and says, you think you know what's going on and you don't. You think you know what I'm doing in Job's life and you don't. And we do the same thing when we think we know why circumstances are going on. We start to pretend, hey, I know what God's up to. I know what he's doing in your life. And so we judge circumstances. And finally, we can take a one-size-fits-all approach to people. So look, both the Pharisees and Peter, his disciple, failed Jesus. Like the Pharisee, they confronted Jesus at every turn. 
They rebuked him, they denied him, they challenged him, and they ultimately had him killed. And Peter, for all his great moments of faith, man, he failed Jesus time and again. While he's walking on the water, he doubts and begins to sink. He objects to Jesus saying he's going to be crucified, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. He doesn't, let, he doesn't want Jesus to wash his feet. He denies Jesus three times. And he hides in fear after Jesus is resurrected from the grave. Oh, he does the same things. He denies Jesus. He doubts Jesus. He rebukes Jesus. And yet Jesus treats Peter entirely different than the way, when he, the way he treats the Pharisees. The Pharisees needed strong confrontation. They were leaders and they were locked in their hardness of heart and they were damaging and they were hurting people and Jesus confronted them very strongly. With Peter, yeah, sometimes he had to come hard at Jesus saying, get behind me, Satan. That's a pretty hard statement. But he also loved Peter. He spoke gently to Peter. He recognized that Peter was learning how to do it. He recognized that Peter was weak. He recognized when Peter was just making mistakes versus when he was being hardened. And he loved him and he was patient with him and he restored him. Jesus doesn't treat the Pharisee and Peter the same. And you and I, we can see similar sins, we can see similar labels and start to treat everybody the same. And we'll miss signs of repentance will miss what is the difference between sin and rebellion and what is just weakness and making mistakes. We won't give people space to grow and figure it out. So we need to be careful about approaching this one-size-fits-all judgment with people. We need to be humble. We need to examine our own hearts before the Lord. We need to be humble before the Lord, knowing we will be judged about how we judge other people and say, I want to do this in humility. I want to be careful about how I deal with these things. And so to avoid being a hypocrite, to avoid blindness in our judgments, to not be spiritually dangerous to others, oh, we need to walk in active repentance before the Lord. This is what verse 5 tells us. Jesus says, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brothers. To exercise proper judgment we need to always deal with the junk in our own heart first. We need to humbly acknowledge that sin can skew how we view things. We need to acknowledge that we're imperfect in our knowledge. Leaving sin aside, we're just imperfect in our knowledge. And so we need to be humble about how we make our judgments. We need to recognize that we are prone to judging poorly. So we must examine ourselves before dealing with the sin of others. We need to be on guard for the ways that we will label or judge motives or judge circumstances or take a one-size-fits-all approach. Think of it this way. When someone else sins, rather than that first stirring judgment in our heart, should that not stir humility in our heart to say, Lord, I need to repent of sin. I'm broken. I need salvation. I need you, Jesus. And that person's sin reminds me of how I am in desperate need. Lord, help me so that I can help them. But, and don't miss this, at the same time, we need to be proactive. Sin in our hearts isn't an excuse to bail on judgment. We, we don't get to go, well, I'm too sinful in my own heart, and so Jesus tells me not to judge, so I ain't gonna do that. No, 
that Jesus isn't giving you an excuse. He's giving you a directive. Take the log out of your eye. That is, repent of your sin. Get that junk out and then go and disciple and help your brother, your sister, that friend. This isn't an an excuse. This is a call to repentance so that we may go and love and serve other people. So, disciples of Jesus exercise humble judgment because we will be judged, because we cannot see clearly or do not see clearly. And then finally, we cannot force people to see. Disciples of Jesus exercise humble, sober judgment because we will be, excuse me, because we cannot force people to see. If we need humility to avoid hypocritical judgments on one hand, we also need humility to avoid being naive on the other. This is what Jesus says in verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Oh, these are strong words. These are strong words from Jesus. Just as you would never give something precious and holy to a wild dog, don't think, you know, your lab that's almost like a third child that you have at home. No, this is a wild dog, dangerous. So just as you wouldn't give something precious and holy to a wild dog or a pig, there are some people that we withhold certain judgment and even discipleship from. Because here is an underlying truth to what Jesus is saying. Our judgments, our gospel-driven judgments, our accurate judgments, our our humble judgments are meant to be life-giving. They're meant to call people out of sin and meant to turn them from sin to righteousness and goodness and towards Christ. And sometimes people just aren't there to receive. Sometimes people won't hear what you have to say. Not everyone wants to hear correction. Not everyone is receptive to the gospel. Not everybody will receive those good and humble judgments that lead to life. And how do such people respond? Oftentimes, like a wild dog or a pig would, they bite back, they harm, they attack, they, they, they mock, they demean, they hurt you back. No matter how humble you are, no matter how loving you are, no matter how correct everything is, you're right before the Lord, everything is good on your end, they still bite back. They still harm. And if you've ever been on the receiving end of that, Jesus' words make sense. And so we need to sometimes exercise wisdom in how we give our judgments and our correction. Exercising humble, sober judgment means sometimes we don't say anything at all. Sometimes we withhold things because we can't force people. You can't force people with force of language or energy or intensity. Only the Holy Spirit can change people's hearts. But when we forget that, we think, man, I got to keep pressing and I got to keep pushing and I got to keep going. And we get attacked and we get harmed and people bite back. And so at times we have to refrain. We exercise restraint We don't pile on. We don't get worked up. We don't join a frenzy of voices. And so this may raise the question, well, does this mean I never speak out unless someone is perfectly receptive? No. Realize sometimes we don't recognize where someone is until we go and speak to them. And there is a range of receptivity. Sometimes people may not be receptive, but they're not biting back and hitting you and yelling at you and mocking you. And sometimes you don't know that they're going to do that until you've actually gone and said something to them. 
So sometimes we have to just experience this and figure this out. We also need to be aware that sometimes we can confront people and address immediate behavioral issues and not necessarily go down deep into the heart because they're not ready for it. And so Jesus is saying humility before the Lord causes us to stop and ask these questions. We need to be careful. And so if you have a need to judge and confront that doesn't take this wisdom into consideration, if you do not stop and ask, hey, maybe I should withhold these things because it would be like giving something precious to a wild dog. If you can't do that, I would say, why? Why can't you? Do you have such a need to judge other people and get out whatever is on your chest and in your heart so much so that it's about you and not them? See, if we can't be humble in this way, it shows that our judgments are much more about us and our need to do something than it is about glorifying God and for the good of that other person. And so we need to be humble and reflective when people are not receptive. And so church, look, our world is incredibly judgmental. And you top that with making very poor judgments. Like our world is so broken and shot through with judgmentalism, whether it be at the political level, or entertainment, cultural level, whatever it is. Ah, oh, man, we see it. We see it all over the place. And it is harsh. And, and the standard and the measure that they are judging by is not God and his glory and his goodness and his word. And this is the culture that we are in. This is the culture that they will scream tolerance will all the while be judgmental. And it wants to shape us into this mold. We need to lift our gates to the kingdom of God. We need to lift our eyes to something deeper and greater. And so as citizens of the kingdom, we need to boldly proclaim righteousness and holiness and goodness and justice. We want to see the kingdom of God transform our city. But as citizens of the kingdom, we know we stand under a greater judgment. We know that we are those under a greater rule, under a greater king. We know we are those in the need of mercy and grace and forgiveness, so we humbly offer those things as well. Our proclamation of righteousness and goodness and justice and truth is not some self-righteous condemnation of the world that just says, let it all burn. No, we proclaim those things because we want to see the gospel transform people and transform our city. And so let's hold out goodness and righteousness and justice and truth, but let's equally hold out mercy and compassion and grace and forgiveness because we know only the gospel of Jesus Christ changes things. Only Christ can transform us and our city. And so let's hold out his kingdom. Let's make gospel judgments. Let's our judgments be informed by him and his kingdom for his glory. Amen.